What's up, everyone? This is Press X Star Podcast, Season 5, Episode 29. Press X Star Podcast is an audio and video podcast seeking to transform the video game media landscape through an underserved and protected point of view. Restorative justice for the underrepresented programmers, developers, and consumers. Again, we say that all the time, and the industry just shows us how important that is. I am your host, DJ, a.k.a. Sexy Badger, a.k.a. The Genshin Impacted, a.k.a. Did you know? I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. I was going to do a Genshin thing, but I got nothing. Boo. That's me. Who else is here? Do you know that the most recent Genshin Impact character is voiced by popular Twitch streamer Lily Pichu, whom everyone might remember from all those Avengers ads? So, really? Yeah. Who the fuck is it? Look at that. I did not know that. He just needed a fact. My bad. No, that, that was great. Thank you. Appreciate it. I am Sean MF Ross. What the MF stand for? We got away with it. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll we'll do the AKs and we'll do a quick story time. <laughs> now I don't think we need to elaborate on track, but go ahead. <laughs> Actually, you know what? You're right. We're right. We'll we'll do that off there. <laughs> it's your boy Jordan, aka Xbot, aka the Last Reaper. Sure. And the oh. first. Haber? I don't know what they call the characters in the Ascent, but some weird sci-fi bullshit they picked out of a fucking wastebasket of adjectives. <laughs> we can't use cyberpunk. Well, it's good. <laughs> I know they took all the good ones and produced such a poor performing game. I mean, mm-hmm. they had those from like 1970s. Not like, not like they took them recently. True. Mm. True. Last up. Um, my name is Avery Williams, and it's all good. All right, all right. Better than getting away with it, um, or trying to get away with it. Anyway, yes, yes. With that being said, this is who we have for this cast, and let's do some housekeeping. So, uh, two things. Again, we have this Palestine charity drive, and you can go donate at pressxnumber2start.com/palestine. And number two is we have a YouTube channel, and right now we don't have that many views. So if you're listening to this, do us a favor and just go watch the latest thing we have on there and then watch the second latest thing that we have on there Then watch the third latest thing we have on there and then watch everything else. Please. Thank you. With that being said, oh wait, DJ, how can they get to our YouTube channel? What's the link? Oh, oh my gosh, Jordan. Why? Thank you so much. You can go to press X number two start.com slash YouTube or go to youtube.com and search press X number two start TV. I think it's press X. You know, it might be press X to start TV. So two as in T-O. Okay. Either way, if you go to press X number two start dot com slash YouTube, that's a lot easier. It will take you right where you need to be. So just do that. All right. With that being said, now we can dive into the heavy hitters and Avery. Take it away. Okay. Yeah. So I want to say uh, a little background. I remember watching Kind of Funny ages ago. And Greg Miller not shutting the fuck up about a game called Gone Home. It was one of his favorite games. His big problem with that game was it didn't have a platinum trophy. Cool beans. Fast forward a couple years later, the team behind Gone Home, Fulbright, which was essentially like a four-person studio, made their, their send-up called uh, Tacoma. Tacoma had a platinum trophy. Tacoma came out on Xbox first, so no one touched it. Then it came out on PlayStation, and then people touched it to get that platinum trophy. That might not be true, but this is just my memory of it for flavor. Uh, <laughs> but... Steve Gaynor showed up on Kind of Funny 
to help Greg be the first person to get that platinum trophy. That was my first introduction to this creator. Uh, mm-hmm. And he seemed like a guy who really fit into the San Francisco kind of funny XIGN crowd of that era. I never really thought of it, but he's also the main writer of all the Fulbright games. So this is a guy who fundamentally has an interest in diversity and inclusivity and writing those type of stories because, spoiler for Gone Home, it's about lesbians. That's what the game is about. And, yeah. and Tacoma. And Tacoma is about human relationships. And for the most part, they're all really well done. There's some interesting design problems I have with Tacoma, but ultimately, the narrative isn't the issue I have with the game. It's the way the narrative mm-hmm. is told. Flash forward, they started working on this game called Open Road. I can't remember where they showed off this game, but Open Road... I think it, it was in one of the PlayStation State of Play things. I, I think it was during E3, but I can't remember what conference it was showed off of. Oh, okay. Because it's no, that game yeah. with Carrie Russell as one of the main characters about a mother and a daughter doing a road trip about their family's past. Yes. And I'm like, this seems like straight up Steve Gaynor's Alley. This seems like straight up a game I'm going to be super interested in. because I It was j- that Game Award 2020. Cool beans. Uh... So I was super excited for this game. Mm-hmm. Wednesday night, at I want to say like 11 o'clock, I start seeing tweets on my timeline because I follow a lot of people in the video game industry talking about events evolving Open Road and its development. Uh, the main one being from Open Road itself, the Twitter, hey, this is the quote that we got at like 8 p.m. on a Wednesday Eastern. So yeah. We are a small team passionate about making an inclusive, poignant, story-driven game that gives players a feeling of discovery. We care deeply about creating games that have a positive impact. We are also fervent believers in fostering a work environment that is healthy and collaborative, where we can work with transparency, autonomy, and trust. As such, Fulbright's co-founder, Steve Gaynor, the man I talked about earlier, has stepped back from his role as creative lead and manager and transitioned to a role as a writer, handing off day-to-day responsibility to the team to complete open roads. We're all excited by how the game is shaping up, and we hope you follow along as we continue to share our progress. So I'm like, Mm. huh, what could happen in the studio for this to happen? Then I start seeing more tweets in my timeline of industry people talking about a story breaking from Polygon, the title being... How the Founders' Toxic Culture Tore Apart Fulbright, the studio behind Gone Home. Yikes. And in the wake of Ubisoft stuff, in the wake of our current actresses, Blizzard stuff, this was a gut punch as you go down this article. And I want to be clear, as of so far, no sexual harassment has been brought up. Yeah. About Steve Gaynor. However, emotional abuse and pretty much being a shitty manager is the name of this story. In that Steve Gaynor believed that Fulbright was him. As a creator, he thought the studio itself was him, which gave him carte blanche to do anything he wanted. And the most Mm. heart-rendering part of this is that for a man who could write so many interesting stories about women and tell so many real and fascinating stories about women, he seemed to not respect them in any way, shape, or form or take any of their opinions, their well-beings, anything into regard to anything he did. Uh, Right. News came out that the publisher of Open Roads, uh, I want to say Annapurna, was hearing that there was an unnecessary amount of turnout on a very small studio in regards to female employees. Investigation revealed all these issues in Steve Gaynor's part, in which, at a certain point, uh, hiring managers at the studio would warn women away from joining this studio because they didn't want Steve Gaynor to destroy their hopes and dreams of being in the game dev. Yeah. Yeah, like some of the women that was working there were also essentially like they left the company and they, they didn't pursue another job in the game industries because of their time spent there. This is just one like I think 
if there's any good coming from this, in a time where we're all being hyper vigilant of this type of activity, especially because the Activision Blizzard stuff is still ongoing and fundamentally still getting worse, this was the canary in the coal mine of yes, all game dev. In that it didn't matter that there was a big corporation yeah. or a small indie dev team. That these issues that gaming as a culture are suffering are widespread throughout. Yeah, essentially this is one of those things where, what, last week we were just like, oh man, like, Activision Blizzard is the shit show. And then I think we said on this cast, is like, they're, they're not the only company. Like, we, we've had examples before of other companies, like Riot included, and now it's just like, oh, this is legitimately just everywhere. This is everywhere. Here's a quote pulled from the articles from one of the employees at Fulbright saying, how do we ensure we are creating an environment that results in women feeling respected? HR, accountability, training, something needs to change. We all have a part to play in creating a safe working environment. Change doesn't happen without discomfort. So that kind of goes back to the HR component of things. I think the HR system right now, or at least how HR professionals are being taught in schools, because they are masters, you know, or doctoral students who can, you know, get their human resource training. What they're being taught just isn't where it needs to be when it comes to this equity and fair treatment. Like, it's still stuck in the 70s and 60s and 80s, 90s. Right, right. It's kind of weird to me, like, now that I really think about HR, it's strange that you know, their boss is the same boss as the employee's boss. That's the hierarchy issue. Yeah, like they're still, you know, they're still under the the eye of the company, like versus it being like a third party thing where HR is a part of your organization, but is not run by the organization. Depending on the organization's size, some HRs can be over encompassing and be like a, outside of that division or department as an arbiter. Like they have no relationship with their executive, with the executive of that division or um, department. Right. But I don't think this is the case in Fulbright. I think they're a fairly tight group of people. Yeah. Yeah. You want to say something, Avery? Yeah. To uh, Jordan's point about HR, uh, in the article, Fulbright doesn't have an HR department. They are too small okay. of a studio to have an HR department. Uh, oh. From all, if there are issues within the company, they reached out to outside forces. I believe their Annapurna may have helped out in that regard. Uh, one of the more interesting elements of this article is that I believe the team who did that failed Battle Royale game, like it's like a television show that you're on and your people can watch and give you like power-ups and stuff. They're it's like Tower something, right? Cliff Lozicki did No, that. no, no. They're making a brand new game, which is in this sort of like, I want to say twee uh, open world aesthetic. I, I want to find the name. Okay, so yeah, Scavenger Studios. They also had an op-ed about toxicity and how it affected development of their game. And one of the mm -hmm. female employees of Fulbright went to Steve Gaynor and said, Hey man, there's a lot of what's going on in this studio that's going on here. We need to address this. And I think that was the kernel of where all of this blossomed out into a situation that we're all aware of and we all know. Well, them uh, not even having an HR system is fucking crazy. Like, how are they able to move forward as an entity without a basic HR system? Because without that, you can't properly convey benefits, health benefits. Like, like what, what type of organization was this to start with if they didn't have a, an HR? What I mean, benefits? <laughs> right. Fulbright started off with four people. And I'm not sure how big the studio is now. Mm, that's still troubling. Yeah. I mean, do we have an HR department? Well, department? 
Yes. You didn't get your packet? No, but we're not a, like, uh, we're not, we're not a full LLC, you know, like we, and, you know, you can talk to Doug about that. Yeah, but Fulbright has only eight employees. That's wild. Mm. Not even external arbiter either. Well, this is where you end up. You end up with stuff like this. Jeez. Sad. So we can get a small business loan. Small business. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's one of those things, I mean, we're going to get into it in the quick hits, but, like, the only course of action now at this point is unionization, right? It's a part of it, like what that looks because, like. Because, right, the workers need to be able to communicate their issues to a body that's able to effectively, um, you know, influence or effectively counter the higher ups at these different uh, studios, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But that's one of the like original what? purposes of unionization. Unions led to workers' rights. It led to workplace safety. Because we have entities that are mostly focused, if not exclusively, on profit. Right. When it comes to a five-day work week, when it comes to 40-hour work weeks or the weekend, that came from the existence of unions during uh, our country's industrial era. But, yeah. So, when it comes to the importance of teaching you know, sexual harassment trainings or how to not be abusive or, you know, collective thinking, more cooperation within within organizations, unions would probably, or at least the game industry, would promote that and not so much the bosses because here we are. The bosses are not talking about it. Right. No, no, no. They're just protecting themselves. Ah, oh, man. Um, I, there's not really much left to, to say on this. Anyone else got anything to say on this? No. No, I'm, I'm, uh, Open Road is still coming out. I'm still interested in that game. Uh, I'm interested to see what's the future of Fulbright after this, because the only reason Steve Gander is still working on this game is because Fulbright itself is so small and he's legitimately so integral in the creation of their work that, like, to remove him at this point would be to say, we need to restart this game and or cancel it. Right, right. So I want to see what the future of the studio is going forward. Because this gets into an issue of auteurs and pretty much all art and what they offer for a project. The question is, does Fulbright still have the same entertainment impact without Steve Gaynor at the hand? And how far was his creative control in regards to their development? That's a good question, because I feel like in these situations, like what you're getting at is essentially, you know, if they can exist without him. And I... It's, it's one of the things where I want to say yes, because oftentimes, you know, a game is a product of the team, not just one individual, unless that studio is run as a dictatorship. Mm. But, you know, oftentimes a game that is created by a team that's, you know, free to come up with ideas and free to think and, and think through ideas, that game is oftentimes better than the game that is just created by one person. Mm. Or just headed by one person. Yeah, there are people that are critical to a game's design, and when they do leave, you we you would immediately see the quality of their work go with them. Yeah, based on yeah. the quality of the final product because they weren't there. Right, and like I'm me personally, I'm just not familiar with Steve Gaynor's games to know exactly what his quote unquote style is, or if it's just. The fact that he's broaching on stories that we just don't see and that is just becoming his quote-unquote style. Well, as someone who's played Gone Home and played Tacoma, 
his style is very much in his narrative, which are the strength of okay. those games. They are essentially yeah. walking simulators. So right. him leaving is the narrative backbone of your game being ripped out. Mechanically, gotcha. all of those okay. games are very basic. They don't really do anything super interesting. I mean, Tacoma does some interesting things. That's because it's in a it's in an space outer space agent, environment, right. and you can do uh, environmental stuff with that. But that's nothing that's not you can find in any other game in that environment. I want Fulbright to be a studio without Steve Gaynor, but I'm interested in because here's the thing: Fulbright games aren't bestsellers. They're very niche. There's a reason none of you guys have played them, and I have. Right. Right. It's just that, like, they don't outwardly appeal to most people, especially once you learn the twist of them. Like, Gone Home, everyone thought was a horror game until they played it, and like, oh, no, this is a narrative game about lesbians. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. So, like, my thing is, is that I'm very curious how, if Fulbright stays together as an entity after this, what they do going forward. They gave it away as a PlayStation Plus game back in 2016. Y'all probably have it. Well, here's the thing. We all have it. I know that for a fact because when I was on the podcast in the original time when it came out, I told everyone, hey, man, we should all play Gone Home. <laughs> no one did. So uh, I'm going to... Well, they don't like downloading the PlayStation Plus games. I bitch about it every couple months, Avery. That's true. That's true. Sean is very much so uh, about making sure he downloads the stuff and tells us to download the stuff, even though we don't really listen. <laughs> <laughs> anyway moving forward yeah. yes uh yes it's it's shitty uh, you know uh, hopefully something good comes from this and mm -hmm. the industry as a whole will be able to see these shortcomings and just get better and be better but until then we will keep watching this and you know we'll report on it all right, so with that being said, we are going to take, or I'm sorry, we're going to have a word from our sponsors. It's us. It's us, guys. It's us sponsoring ourselves. It's like we're pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. As God intended. <laughs> hey, everybody. Have you been enjoying this episode so far? Would you like to make sure you keep getting the best last news reviews and all things video games? Then we need your help. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show. And if you have, share it with your friends, your family, frenemies, people down the street. Every little bit helps. To see what we're up to throughout the week, follow us on either Facebook and Instagram at PressX at number 2 start, on Twitter at PressX number 2S, and on YouTube at PressX to start TV. If you've done this, many thanks. You're one of the good ones. And we're back. All right, DJ, uh, do the thing that you do. Sure can, DJ. What's up, everyone? This is the quick hits. Number one, let's go. The Gamer. We need unionization, says ex-Blizzard dev and ArenaNet co-founder. So, responding to the explosive IGN article on Blizzard's accusations, industry veteran Jeff Strain, who joined Blizzard in 1996, shared that he was disgusted and repulsed but not at all surprised. Jeff states, unions were started in this country to protect workers from abusive, cruel, abhorrent, unacceptable, and illegal treatment from companies. This is kind of what, uh, Jordan, you were just saying. You are touching on all this. Yes, I studied that. So, um, on top of his call to action, Strain shared his own reasons for leaving Blizzards over two decades ago. In 1998, Strain says, that he and his wife had a meeting with one of the studio founders over their objections to the 
dismembered and impaled female body parts. I remember, I remember, I remember hearing about this. Uh, that featured in the Diablo beta. Um, yeah, that's great. This is one of those things where what? Okay, so what are you guys' thoughts on this whole unionization call to action paired with the um the the guy that he was the old head of Blizzard or Activision, and he was saying how uh this is bad, and and he wants to do everything in his power to. Mm-hmm. um help this but that was the same guy that was at the con where the woman asked him about the women in their games looking like swimsuit models or whatever and he was mm-hmm. like well, what swimsuit do you want to yeah that's the same guy right i don't think so no okay cool well it, yeah if that's the case then i would definitely like to see you know steps to this unionization thing taken and push forward hopefully by the end of next year (laughs) creating unions is hard um right right it is a very hard and long process especially in a country as diverse as ours because there are states that have the right to work policies to which maryland is one of them Mm -hmm. to which those um workers do not have to be a part of the union if they choose not they do not have to pay union dues Um, Mm -hmm. But there are states where, you know, they allow for unions, depending on which organization, to force and exist within the union by way of dues. So maybe what these tech professionals can do, and I think tech is another barrier they have to kind of go over and legitimizing themselves, is associate themselves with like one of the bigger unions, like maybe uh, SCIO. Uh, like the bigger ones, maybe mm-hmm. as a pathway, like, you know, just go there and say, this is what we do. This is how our work is. And this is why we're trying to be unionized. And, you know, but creating a union from nothing is going to be more difficult than associating yeah. themselves with one of the bigger ones. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is a good idea of, of just being like a, a subgroup to a bigger union. Right. So that stuff is already like set up for them in a way. I'll be there on the picket line, y'all. I'll be right there at Bethesda, Rockville. <laughs> Hell no, we will not go. We're coming for you, Todd Howard. <laughs> uh, okay, so this comes from Bloomberg. Uh, Blizzard president departs as game maker faces labor lawsuit. This is a big one. Yeah. Blizzard president J. Allen Brackett. Brackett? Brack. 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 There's no E.T. Brack. Brack. Oh, you're right. You're right. Brack is leaving the company amid a cultural reckoning at partner Activision Blizzard Incorporated. Brack's departure was disclosed in an email to staff Tuesday, which was reviewed by Bloomberg. Brack will be replaced by Jen O'Neill and Mike Yabara, the new co-leaders of Blizzard. Uh, The shares fell 3.5% on Tuesday, which is... It's... (sighs) That annoys me. Like, I hate the fact that these studios are um taped together by like shares and and shareholders like it's yes. it's so annoying it's it's really annoying like mm-hmm. the fact that shares fell by 3.5% because it came out that Blizzard Activision was a horrible studio and it's just like 
Ah, uh, man, that's just it's, I mean, it's the stock market is gambling, so there's nothing really you can do about that. Like, I know, any, I know. any bad news is going to drop stock, any good news is going to rise stock. It's whatever. The more interesting thing about this beyond Brack's departure is what this means before the Activision Blizzard relationship. From what I can gather, and Jason Sarge did a lot of uh, reporting on this, this is another bullet in the chamber of Bobby Kotick getting full control of this mm-hmm. organization. And yeah. uh, if you yeah. know anything about Bobby Kotick, uh, probably not a good thing. No. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you liked how Activision has gone the road of we are essentially a Call of Duty studio who maybe once every 10 years puts out any other game as long as we can monetize it for a year over year thing for the Blizzard intellectual IP this is going to be a very very scary thing yeah but that's it's troubling but that's neither here or there in regards to the actual impact of this on the people involved which I don't yeah. know the exact details because I don't know anything about Yabara or uh, O'Neill. So I don't. I, I have no idea what their involvement in in all of this situation has gone. Brack has essentially just been the lightning rod as the face of the company, with visual evidence against him in regards to this, yeah. this toxic culture. These two mm. could easily be just in line of being like we're also problems in this, but I wouldn't know. Yeah. So Mike Yabar is coming from Microsoft. I don't remember hearing too much about no. him over there. I don't know where he worked in Microsoft. He might have been with Matt Booty. Yeah. Um, before Microsoft started purging themselves in the mid-2010s or late-2010s. But, um, yeah, he's a Microsoft product, but I'm, I'm not familiar with Jen O'Neill either. Okay. Did not know that. Huh. Number four, this comes from CNET. Take-Two CEO does not want new games on Game Pass. Take-Two CEO Struts Zelnick? Zelnick, right? Struts yes. Zelnick. Mm-hmm. Views are unchanged and believe subscription services make sense of catalog games, but not new ones. He also questions if it's possible for everyone in the chain, developers, publishers, and consumers alike, to come out ahead. So he's kind of getting at the same thing that um, Sony has been talking about for the last. Yeah, Sony and years. the Sean Sean Layden, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. It's one of those, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Without, I mean, yeah, without full transparency on Microsoft's subscription model and how it works, I tend to agree with his assessment, especially on seeing how the subscription model of a Netflix works and how the transparency on that works. Mm-hmm. Netflix is a money hole in regards to its corporate holdings, in regards to its business. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they don't make a profit. They're successful, but they don't make a profit. I don't know what... Full transparency on everything that Xbox is doing with Game Pass, I wouldn't know. But especially on the the magnum of games that Take Two makes, and the magnum of games that Sony makes, and most big publishers, the Game Pass model is a gamble. Yeah, because it could work and it could be the most successful thing in the world. And like your answers are everything has changed, and you the way you make games going forward fundamentally changes, or you just don't make profits. An interesting parallel to this is currently in film yeah in that we're currently in a coming out of a period where a lot of films were doing like the pandemic is also involved in this so that's the numbers are skewed so i don't want to like say that as gospel but you get into things with like black widow is a great example of a movie that is successful Mm -hmm. people saw that movie it did well but financially it didn't and that's just the realism of its streaming subscription thing yeah right it's it, it's interesting like well here here's the thing though for game pass it works when you as a publisher are putting out games that may or may not be i guess quote unquote triple a yes 
But like also if you don't have the name recognition kind of thing, other than EA and, and, and Ubisoft, I believe they're also what I don't I don't know about Ubisoft, but EA. Like they're separate from all this. But like like I just quickly looked up Take Two Interactive games just to see like what games they've been putting out. And no surprise, 2008, Grand Theft Auto V, uh, 2011, Kerbal Space Program, 2011, L.A. Noir, 2019, The Outer Worlds. That's it. Like, it, they've been well, sustaining take two, off of... Take Two is actually a bigger... Publisher. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, yeah but, it, there's a lot. Well, no, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, them as a publisher putting their games on Game Pass doesn't make sense for them because... They're not, I, I think there is a headline of them putting out 62 games between now and uh, 2024 or something like that. But like, it doesn't necessarily work for them because I don't think they need the, the name recognition all that much because everyone knows them as GTA. The, the people okay, that make GTA. so yeah. It's, yeah. From my general understanding, and someone check me if I'm speaking out of my ass, it's that I think the way a deal like Game Pass works is if Microsoft forks off enough money that in the case of it not going well, mm-hmm. you, like in terms of sales, you make back enough of your budget to make this a profit. Especially mm-hmm. in the bigger the game being, the harder that becomes a thing unless Microsoft is just willing to sell out the cash for it to be sustainable. For a game like GTA, which is sold I over hundreds of millions at this point. I, I, I think what I think the last number was like a hundred million copies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I think it's somewhere around that number. Like, I don't think there's a dump truck big enough to roll up the 2K to say, "Put your game out on this platform for us." Nah. For what? Yeah. GTA Five sold 140 million copies. Jesus, that's wild. There's the argument to be made that Game Pass will increase its visibility, but it's GTA. It doesn't need the visibility. Yeah. So, to both your points, this is a case-by-case basis. Take-Two does not Mm -hmm. need Game Pass for any of their games to be successful. But nonetheless, it doesn't mean that that Game Pass is not successful for developers. Because when time and time again, you have developers of various sizes coming saying that Game Pass has helped bring games to gamers that would have never considered them. Sega puts many of their properties on Game Pass, be it the whole Yakuza series. Mm-hmm. EA is partnered with Game Pass via EA Play. And smaller developers, and the succeeding story you're about to go to right now, have recorded profits while their game has existed on that platform. And the conversation of, you know, the money pit conversation, you know, Microsoft's valued at $2 trillion. Like, they have a clear... Like, it's all about the ability of them to do this because of all of the various pathways that allows us to exist. Now, when it comes to sustainability, if those pathways are cut off, then sure, Game Pass is in trouble. But until that point, you know, money's clearly not an issue. And the CEO of Microsoft has been very public about their support of their Xbox division, specifically the Game Pass division. It's going to be very interesting seeing how Game Pass grows this fall when they expand to full-blown smart televisions without needing anything. So here's my thing that now I'm I'm just confused. The Outer Worlds 2 is is going to be on Game Pass. Yes. Yes. And it's also published by Take Two. My, my, Microsoft bought Obsidian. Obsidian was able to retain the rights. Oh. Microsoft owns the studio. That's why. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. Okay. Okay. I okay. think. Yeah. Jordan's point about smaller developers and its sustainability is something I, I don't want to go amiss in mm-hmm. conversations about Game Pass. 
But I think my question of sustainability is in regards to AAA sustainability. Yeah. I could be wrong, but this isn't Sega putting out all their brand new games on Game Pass. No. This is Sega putting out their old games on Game yeah. Pass, which is yeah. it's fine. Like The revenue that they would be getting from those games just being out there by themselves is fundamentally probably going to be bolstered by them having a second avenue on Game Pass if it operates in the manner that we believe it to operate on. Same with EA Play. EA Play is the collection of their path content and its subscription model based upon that. Six months. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not EA putting Battlefield, Battlefield yeah. on right. Game Pass. Yeah. Yeah. Like my my big fear with Game Pass mm-hmm. is that the structure in which games come out on there dictates the structure in which games are developed on there. Because I see a Netflix, the way that movies are made for the theater are far different from when they are made for specifically for Netflix. And I feel that if Game Pass continues down its route, the tenor of games that are going to be put out specifically for Game Pass as a Mm -hmm. platform are going to have to change. But that's... Uh, It may go the route that movies go. Kind of like I I saw... I don't know if y'all watch Hot Ones, but uh, I saw a snippet with the interview with Matt Damon, and he was basically saying normally when DVD sales were a thing they would green light certain type of movies they don't green light anymore because they could afford to you know all right we're not going to make as much money up front but we'll make a big chunk on the back end with dvd sales Mm, mm. it's going to be something similar with game pass eventually with a lot of people saying that they're devaluing games Mm. they're devaluing games I, I, I am one of those people said, saying that. But like that, I, don't, I do not think they're devaluing games. Like there are still quality games coming out on there. You're trying to say I mean, that uh, Jordan, the question isn't the quality of the games right it's now. The perceived mm-hmm. quality in the mass of that game. It's the conversation I think we had in our thing about what's the value of a sixty dollar game if you can get that sixty dollar game for free or quote unquote a dollar. Yeah, whatever. compared to the other pathways. Yeah, compared well, compared yeah. to the kind because like you know Hades is about to have his console release, and now yeah, like there's multiple pathways to get Hades, but one is via one. But yes, but the one that's going to be I'm based because Game Pass is still in its its founding grounds. I'm basing all this on how well it's five years five years in. Well, this is this still it's it's, it's early. Yeah, well, it's early. Right. Microsoft fundamentally didn't become people didn't really expect the Xbox till with like ten years in. So I'm, I'm taking this with a grain of thought. Like I'm basing all of my knowledge of subscription services and stuff, and we can move on to that after this, on Netflix and things like that. And people, when you... Let's move on. I, like, it, it, let's not belabor the thought. Yeah, let's not belabor the thought. My bad, guys. No, it was a good conversation. Yeah. Uh, I, I, was, I was thinking of, of the question, um, you know, what's your value of a game based off of the money? And that's an interesting question. And I think... I don't know. I kind of find that very interesting because the two games that have my time right now are essentially free games. And it's also a thing where like they're both, you know, free to play. They 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 have super monetized. Own, yeah, they're super monetized, but it's one of those things where it's just like for me, I always think of it as you find value in a thing that you find value. So, it's not necessarily how much money you're paying for, it's if you think it's worth it. And I think when it comes to Game Pass like uh, I don't know if, if X game like X game can be on Game Pass and it's just like oh it, you can spend sixty dollars on this game or you can buy it on Game Pass you play the game like oh I I really love this game so it doesn't really necessarily matter I guess 
the only difference is that person may have not paid $60 for that game before playing the, it. The, the question is, would they be willing to pay that $60? Right. If the question is, yes, then the value of this game is $60. But it doesn't change the fact that you can, quote unquote, get the game for free. For free. And the narrative on that game is it's freeness going forward. True. And also, Game Pass is helping out households too. Like, they're just, I mean, gaming is a very expensive habit. You know, like, it's just. That's also true. I, I haven't gamed this much in a long time because of Game Pass, because I just don't. Like, there used to be a time when I was in high school, and I'm like, I can't buy a game if it gets below an 8.0 in terms of IGN score or whatever, you know, mm. gaming article magazine I was looking at. Like, I, I just could not risk wasting my money. Yeah. Even though I still, I, I you know, Ratchet & Clank was a proven product. I, I went there, I, I bought that shit in, you know, day and date to my app. Right. But, you know, it, there, there is an, an accessibility component that, you know. Yes, the accessibility, yeah, that can't be argued. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number, so I actually skipped three, so I'm just going to jump back and do a, a three and, and make that a four, and it's going to be confusing for no one except for me. From Washington Post, amid harassment lawsuit, and advertisers pull back from Blizzard's Overwatch leak. So Coca-Cola, Kellogg, State Farmer, and T-Mobile are reassessing partnerships with Activision Blizzard's Overwatch League, according to statements provided by all four companies. Um, there's more to this, but we're just kind of we're, we're gonna jump to the next one. But yeah, they're 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 Whoops. reassessing their stuff, which is you know kind of makes sense. No, it's good. It's this is a hey financially this is going to hurt us. Right. My only hope is that the esports athletes involved in this don't get fucked over by this because esports is not profitable at all. And mm-hmm. so, did you know <laughs> the Kellogg's? Did you hear about this? Did y'all know about this Kellogg's? Cereal. This is something I promise you I did not look up. I just knew it in the back of my head. Is this the thing about masturbation in kids? Yes. What? Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on. (laughs) Wait. Now that you said it, I have to finish this. So the Kellogg's cereal was actually created by Kellogg's or whatever. And this guy was just a crazy guy. And he, his mind, he was like, I'm going to create this cereal to stop kids from masturbating. Okay. As a deterrent. Because surely you ought to be eating some Kellogg's <laughs> fucking cornflakes instead of baiting your dick. Sinning. Mind you, this was cornflakes at the time. Not frosted flakes. This was cornflakes. Yeah, right. <laughs> surely you want to do this instead of sinning. Yeah. Oh, shit. An argument can be made about frosted flakes, but cornflakes got making And making crusty socks. But all right, go ahead. That's terrible. That's weird. Alright, yeah, it is, right? Number five, this goes from Xbox era. The Ascent made $5 million in opening weekend sales. Uh, this actually goes into the conversation we were just having. So, publisher Curve Digital, it was, oh, sorry, for publisher Curve Digital, it was the highest grossing opening weekend for the game, or for a game <laughs> ever, citing a AAA level of coverage by media and influencers as one of the reasons for success. The Ascent has been uh, positioned by Microsoft as one of the highlights of this summer as the title is part of Xbox Game Pass. One thing, there was an adjacent article that went into this and in better detail, but it was just talking about how groups of gamers and gamer friends will have multiple avenues or like preferred platforms. Mm-hmm. And what had drove the Ascent success was the PC platform. Uh, yeah. Though there were people playing on you know Xbox One, Xbox Series systems, they had friends that preferred playing through Steam. So like that weird word of mouth uh, dynamic uh, hit this game. So 
which probably could impact other games in the future that are cross-platform um, mm-hmm. but available via Game Pass. So that's to be determined. But yeah. This is an instance of it. Definitely. Let's see. Okay. Uh, I got a text message. I was making sure it wasn't like, oh, the baby's uh, the baby's running. Baby fly. Right. <laughs> 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 oh, I guess I got to pause the podcast. <laughs> All right. Number six. This comes from Core Xbox. Xbox announces $15.37 billion in revenue. Xbox Game Pass application has a large share in increasing sales. This is the best year Xbox has ever had. Uh, cue Drake line. Uh, moreover, not only the software side... 2018 much? <laughs> but also the hardware sales side has broken records. Just like the Olympians. Nice. So yeah, yeah that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, it's... it's yeah, I don't really got much to say about that, but that's awesome. Not to denigrate it. It's just I good. It's good. It's great. It's awesome. All right, number seven. This comes from VG24 slash seven. Halo Infinite Datamine reveals Battle Royale voice line. So the Datamine clip is similar to existing voice lines from various other games such as Slayer. Our game mode, such as Slayer. Gotta, uh, gotta, gotta do the voice. Slayer. Slayer. <laughs> Uh, given the nature of this clip, uh, it could be a indication that Halo Infinite is getting a battle royale mode, or was at some point. Ah, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Only if it works, because Call of Duty Warzone didn't come. I mean, didn't come out until like you know four or five months after the original release of Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and they already had some experience with with Black Ops Four. I about to say yeah, Call of Duty Warzone never existed before <laughs> Black Ops Battle Royale thing. Like, Blackout. Blackout. Yeah. So it's just like I don't know. It's it's. I have my own feelings about Battle Royale just as a whole. Don't force it. Yeah. I kind of that's my take don't force it i don't i don't want to jump the gun but i kind of feel like it's 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 at the tail end of its lifespan in terms of newer things coming out and breaking that mold because battle royale has been refined to such a point right now that it's just like what else are you gonna throw in there yeah what you bring to the table what do you bring to the table like you saw that failure to this hyperscape yeah, 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 yeah. That's it, another thing too. This this goes back to a conversation that we had ages ago on this podcast. I think this is back during Call of Duty, and I was wrong at the time, but I still think the conversation uh, holds up now. Is that there could only be so much bandwidth for battle royales at the time. Back then, it was PUBG, Fortnite, and then Apex Legends at the time. And my argument was that I don't think Wars. I can't think of what I was talking about Warzone or Blackout. Probably talking about Warzone mm-hmm. could break, or I just Call of Duty in general could break that mold and be a pillar it succeeded and so i was 100 wrong but i don't yeah. but i don't think well I, it's one of those things you'd have to see and they would have to literally do something new other than just hey it's about royale and fortnite yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, i'm not battle royale in in halo my bad yeah yeah, yeah don't, yeah. don't to Avery's point like just don't force it make sure it makes sense like they have vehicles you know they have uh they, they're, they're used to open areas but make it make sense yeah like, battle royale and halo makes complete sense i think what what screwed them was when they came out and was like oh the only br in our game is a battle right you didn't even say that you could have just been like we're not gonna be battle around just just keep quiet and then maybe you change your mind later on but like you put that out there and it's just like oh so you guys are gonna do battle royale now but what about the whole br comment <laughs> but yeah 
We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, is, that your, is that your Twitter personality? Well, first <laughs> <laughs> I don't normally break that out, but, uh, you know, having a good time. So, All right. Number eight. This comes from VGC. Sony says it's not worried about a recent dip in PS Plus and active users. Uh, that's because everyone went on vacation in August. So that, that's what happened there. Uh, so in the company's Q1 financial results published on Thursday, which cover the three month and June ended oh there's an ed at that ended june 30th so that that's that's like from april to may yeah 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 sony reported total ps plus subscribers of 46.3 million which is up 1.3 million year on yet year on year (laughs) but down by over 1 million compared to the two most recent quarters I say that's just a big spike and, you know, a big spike when everybody was home and everybody's back out doing shit. I mean, it says right. as much in the uh, in the article. Right, right, right. Yeah, Xbox also saw a dip uh, in their services division, too. I mean, like, yeah, people are they're, they're lifting their restrictions. People are going to bars now. I myself, I'm not going to bars, bars, but, you know, getting out more. I'm not in my house all the time. So, yeah, we're going to see how. Yeah. How this uh, upward trajectory in video game purchasing continues throughout this year or next year and for the next two years right and it's one of those things it's like yeah it's down but you know this is also playstation and essentially they're good for it i guess i don't know it's it's one of the things like okay cool that's that's the numbers but that doesn't necessarily that trend isn't a predictor of the future yeah if this was a multi-month trend then i'd be this is this is a conversation that should be talked about right right and number nine, this comes from CNET. Sony's next-gen PSVR 2 headset looks like to have HDR OLED displays. That's a bunch of capital letters. Let's go. Hmm. So according to a YouTube report by Brian Paul of PSVR Without Parole, that's an interesting name. Uh, the PSVR 2 headset will have an OLED display capable of HDR. The 2000 by 2040 pixel per eye display I think that number is uh, on par with the current um, VR headsets right now. So that's why that that number is actually important. Uh, We'll have eye tracking and technology to deliver higher res graphics uh, onto the display, which is less processor strain. That's pretty cool. Uh, One technology called foveated rendering, rendering, foveated, foveated, foveated rendering, foveated. Okay. Uh, uses eye tracking to deliver high resolution just to where your fovi, fova is focused. I don't, what kind of word is that? Ugh, terrible. Uh, the other flexible scaling should also assist on the PS5 hardware end. That's pretty cool. Um, how much do you think this is going to cost? 400? 300? Uh, that's probably, probably around there. It, 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 it have to be on par with the quest. At First least one. the, yeah, the low end quest. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's essentially a separate console platform. So, like, I, this seems about that. Yeah. I, I'm probably going to wait on this, this one because just getting the PSVR, it's like, yeah, this is cool to kind of support it. But Astrobot Rescue Adventure was the only thing that was worth. Actually, no, that and the Iron Man VR thing was cool. No, they, they, they had a bunch of interesting games. They, they didn't have a lot, unfortunately, and I think that's just mm-hmm. the nature of VR development and the limited limitations of the PlayStation VR in general. And yeah. then, frankly, yeah, yeah. 
frankly, VR at its height is going to be PC because of how easy it is going to be to get that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I enjoyed my time with my PSVR. Okay. So I'm super excited to see this, especially since they're going with the Resident Evil 7 model of development in that they're going to have more games that can be played in and out of VR and are not just only VR. VR, yeah. Which yeah. essentially... I think that's what's going to happen to Astrobot too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you, you make a good point about the, the new development cycle for these games where it's going to be, you can either play to VR or play to VR. And I think, I have a feeling that Moss 2 is going to follow that same path as well. Uh, I don't think so. You don't I think, think so? an integral part of that game is you being in the game and being able to oh, okay. m- move around that environment. And I think yeah. that would be a little bit more awkward on console. Like, they got, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, right. Moss is great, everyone. Play it if you have a PSVR. That's actually, that's, that's something that I have and I just hadn't. Yeah, they gave it away for free a couple months yeah. back. Yeah. I just haven't hooked up my shit. Yeah. All right. Well, that has been the quick hits. And now it's time to wrap this podcast up with what we have been playing. So, uh, Sean, what mm. have we and you been playing? You and I. Well, first off, let me just knock this out of the way. I finally finished A Plague Tale Innocence. Uh, I was on the final battle, went back and finished it on the second or third try just because I had to remember what the hell the controls were. Mm-hmm. And my wife just swears she's an expert at gaming now because she backseat uh, drives. <laughs> she's like, you, you got to move over there. You got to you gotta let you Give me a second. I got to remember what the hell everything does. <laughs> That's awesome. Or, or, yeah, she'll critique my game plan. I'll be playing Spelunky and she'll be watching. We have two TVs in the bedroom. Mm. And oh, she'll be oh, looking yeah, like, right. why the hell did you do that? <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, is, she, is she like giving you a commentary from the bed? Yeah, because she can see my TV. Oh. From <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. She's like, that was dumb. Why'd you do that? I'm like, yo, I don't, I don't need this. But um, you know what? I'm putting the curtain up. i played this game uh along with dj hunter's Mm -hmm. arena legend Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i didn't even know this was a battle royale (laughs) no i don't know you were watching the playstation showcase with us i i I must have zoned out hey i have this thing (laughs) (laughs) hey i could be having fun and be bored at the same time like i'm just fair play that's true that's true um yeah, I, the game is interesting. Yeah, it's not terrible. I really wish that um, what's the word I want to use? More responsive? I don't know. Is it? Is, am I making sense, DJ? Yeah, you are. You're you're nailing it. Or, or maybe I just have to learn the controls. I don't know. Something feels off with this, and yeah. I can't quite put my finger on it. It's kind of fun. This almost feels like it should be free to play. Is it free to play? It is free. Do, well, do people... it's free on PlayStation. It's like twenty dollars yeah, yeah, I mean, outside. But it's it that's that's actually a very interesting part of the game because there's a store in the game mm-hmm. and there are characters that you can buy. So for the fact that it's twenty dollars and then it has characters you can buy is kind of not sitting right with with some people. I wonder what the player base was looking like before uh, this was offered free. Yeah, so I I will say that like I did some digging to find out. Uh, well, I, well, I'll let you finish and then I'll jump onto the game. I mean, I'm finished. I mean, we played, we got waxed, um, we cried, we did, you know, we, did. we wept. 
In the last 30 days, its peak uh, players were 193 on Steam. That's 193K? 193, 193 <laughs> players on Steam. <laughs> Where's that comma at? <laughs> its peak was July 2020, its release at 1,072 players. Okay. I would imagine that with it coming to PlayStation Plus, it's probably probably around maybe that good old uh, game pass shot in the arm it is on uh game pass actually oh really and, a DLC. Uh, and there's crossplay that that's enabled to this game which is good yeah oh, I it, it, I, it, it really needed that but i mean i think it's filled with bots otherwise because i couldn't tell yeah so i didn't realize i was playing against somebody until i started beating their ass and they ran away because they were down to a sliver of health <laughs> <No>. <laughs> wait come back here that's a good indicator yeah. And then I kill them, and then I guess their teammate retaliated because <laughs> I had no idea what the hell I, how to, you know. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. so I'll give you a quick rundown of um, Hunter's Arena Legend. That name is weird. So basically, this is a Battle Royale game. The spin to the Battle Royale format is when you get into the, the level, there's also NPC characters on the level that you can fight. So you fight those characters. It will slowly build up your character so you become a stronger character. So whenever you have to fight people, um, no one you're not necessarily at the same level because you have equipment that you can do. You have um, items and stuff that you can attach to your character, essentially. Um, the actual aesthetic of the game is like Chinese mythology looking because they have... Um, For, I believe it's Korean, actually. Is it Korean? I believe it's a Korean developer, so I'm assuming it's oh, Korean. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right, you're right. Korean aesthetic. Yeah, they have... Um, some Black Desert slash Wukong looking game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they have the Monkey King... What's his face? Gong, Son Goku? Is it Son Goku? Um, Son Wukong. Son Wukong, there we go, yeah, yeah. Or you can just like, call him Goku. Yeah. But um, he is actually a paid character, so you have to either um, collect enough coin or just buy the character outright. Um... In terms of the combat to the game, the reason why I was interested in it was because it was a third person, like kind of fighter type game. So I was like, oh, that's cool in a battle royale setting. Um, I don't think they necessarily executed on that too well. Uh, I, I played the, the tutorial mode. Everyone has played tutorial mode. I went back and did training and there is a counter in the game that is there's two counters in the game. There's one counter where it's like a block and you press a button. The counter and then there's like a, a win counter that you can just do anytime and it, it's on a cooldown the first counter i don't know how to actually do it in game and that kind of speaks to the game itself the combat is very deep but it doesn't really explain a lot of stuff so you're left to figure it out and for me it's just it was fun to play, but not necessarily something that I see myself putting time in. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do I want to say about this game? Uh, the first, like after doing some training, I went into the battle royale thing and I, you know, I had a pretty good time. It was a solo mode. So everyone was just fighting each other. I killed about 10 people and it was one of those things where after doing the training, it's like, oh, you can tell this person hasn't done the training because this person doesn't know how to lock on. This person doesn't block. This person 
is allowing me to do air combos on him essentially on them <laughs> essentially yeah and it's just like okay you see it but then when you run up to a person that does know how to play it's a completely different experience where it's just like all right they're they're guard breaking they're launching me in the air and there's the stuff happening and it's it it feels i think there is a bit of balance that needs to happen in the actual gameplay uh, department in order for it to really feel good for you know people who are experienced and also new players um overall the game is fine it's interesting but they made the right move by putting it on playstation plus versus just releasing it to the wild at 20 dollars. Mm-hmm. but yeah uh that's what we've been playing that's what i've been playing um i don't necessarily know if i'll be going back to it mainly because i am doing other stuff like playing genshin impact and i'm having the absolute blast for this game we talked about it off cast like um genshin is a game for me where if i'm in the mood for playing it i will have a great time if i'm not in the mood for playing it i will just play gundam and right now i'm in the mood for genshin and there is a lot of content that i just was not aware of so the reason why i jumped into this is because they were running a an event where if you reach a certain point in the campaign you can participate in the event and you have the ability to unlock this character that a lot of people like it's she's like a really powerful character but you just do an event you can just essentially you will get her if you participate in the event so when i jumped into the game i realized oh I'm actually really far like back in the story because a lot of stuff like came out. So I've been playing through the story and it's just like, this is a really good game. Like there is points where I'm just like, oh, that's, that's a funny joke. Like I'm, I'm just surprised by the overall writing of this game. And, you know, generally that's not something that I really pay attention to. Yeah. And I think there's just a lot of little things that this game does to make sitting through their voice, um, their dialogue back and forth, like more appealing, essentially. So I'm having a good time with that. Uh, last game, me and my wife played a little bit more of It Takes Two. Um, this game, I like it. I, I think, I wonder if there was more co-op games how high would this rate because i think i think because it's a co-op game a lot of people give it more space than i'm not sure it necessarily deserves i don't know i'm still finding where i'm putting that game in my spectrum of games i am currently playing this game with my other half marcus who has deserted me <laughs> so that's that's the thing i'm dealing with mm-hmm. but I think that's an interesting point. However, we need to talk about what a co-op game is. I think the magic of It Takes Two is it's not just a co-op game. It's a co-op fighting game. It's a co-op Diablo game. It's a co-op shooter. It's a co-op platformer. Yeah. It messes a bunch of interesting genres to break up its general co-opness. It's always doing something new. I'm always genuinely surprised by it. I think it's... Joseph Ferris and Hayslight do this with their games. Like, A Way Out is just like this. Mm-hmm. But I think this is a... Because of the nature of this game, it gets to take the, the uh, brakes off the car, essentially. Yeah. And that it goes full tilt with this. Yeah. So I, I think that's where I'm kind of having the problem with it going full tilt. Is, like, we're still some point in the whole squirrel and wasp thing. 
And we reached a point where right now, of course, Shireen is playing as the wife. I'm playing as the husband. And one of the mini boss fights involve you dealing with um, like the, not the shield wasp, the mortar wasp. And we ran into an issue where, you know, she, because she has the weapon that does damage and I have the weapon that essentially can buff the damage. When she dies, or like she happened to die, like the the honey, the honey like sticks on yeah, the honey gun. Yeah. yeah. When she happened to die, and it was just me and the mortar thing until she came back, and I realized like I'm I'm useless right now. I'm useless until she comes back because the honey thing I doesn't mean, that's do. That's how it is in a marriage, DJ. <laughs> I'm trying to teach you, <laughs> but but the honey thing DJ, doesn't do any it takes damage. Two. Well, I, yeah, it does. It absolutely takes two, but then it doesn't because. If I die, she's able to still do damage. So she can still complete the thing. But for me, I can't at all. That's fair so point. it was just kind of like, this is weird. And then we also ran into an issue with the, I guess, area after it Sounds that. like DJ is against woman empowerment, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm against wasp empowerment. You said it right here. <laughs> Press X to start does not support WASP. White Anglo-Saxon Protestantism. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait. I mean, I feel like my words have been taken and put against me. <laughs> yeah, I want to say literal WASP or the acronym. <laughs> the WASP that fly around. Okay. But um, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm the guy you have a problem with Jewish American princesses. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> that was funny <laughs> but um yeah like I'm, I'm still just finding my place where I, I i i see that game but yeah that's been what i've been playing uh avery you had you had jumped so you can go ahead go ahead uh say what else you've been playing avery oh okay yes so in my weird malaise of games i jumped back into two brs essentially uh the first is apex legends seasons 10 uh emergence it's their biggest update yet and when i say biggest i mean like the last one was huge. Arenas was a big thing that got a lot of people back on the train. But because the game Warzone is dying right now, everyone who's playing Warzone has jumped on the Apex. Mm. So suddenly it's the most popular thing in the world right now, mm. which is insane. Uh, it's insane. I, because I, I it, hate that. Hmm? How's that? I, I said I hate that all the sweat now. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> well, we, we technically have the advantage because they were, they've been playing a game with such a... Uh, high time to kill that they aren't prepared for actual tactics in the fight. Just if they getting can't, fucking melted. <laughs> if they, yeah, if they can't if they can't hide in the bush and wait for you to like walk by and shoot you once and win, then they, they ain't ready for the smoke. <laughs> Especially with all the wall hacks in this game. So in all the positives of season 10, we introduce a new character Seer, who is... Uh, you uh, mean Lil Nas X? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, Basically. I'm very I'm very curious on what's going to be the legal repercussions of the introduction of this character is going to be. Anyway, Seer is really cool, but he suffers from the same problem that every legend over the last several releases have, and that he does way too much and he's sort of breaking the game. Yeah. Uh like the season one legend, Wraith. She can teleport, she has a phase, and she can hear voices. That's it. Seer in one ability has a flashbang, wall hacks does 10 damage and can inflict a silence on you and he can see your health bar and see your health bar in one ability that's just one ability that he has that's wild uh at the low level he's annoying at the high level he is cancer to the game <laughs> and apex needs to really change the way they develop characters going forward because it's unintendable like there was a big problem with bloodhound over the last couple of years 
not a couple seasons, and instead of like dealing with the Bloodhound issue, they eventually created Bloodhound on crack with Seer, and it's mm. kind of not fun to play or watch actually. Uh, I'm not really enjoying my time playing it because Seer's in the game. Dang. Oh no. <laughs> like you can't do anything. Yeah. Like with Bloodhound, oh, I got scanned. Okay, I've learned how to deal with this. With Seer, it's like I. I got scanned. I was at 10 health. I'm going to have to be at 10 health in the next 10 seconds right now because he interrupted my heal. Uh, <laughs> he knows who I am. He did another 10 damage to me. I also can't see. I'm dead now. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, uh, season 10 emergence is, I'm hoping, I'm hoping this new attention they're getting from the big streamers forces them to actually get off their ass and do some hot fixes mm-hmm. real quick for the uh, health of this game. And then... We'll see. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Courage, one of the owners of 100 Thieves, has been recently paying Apex because of Warzone. And he complained once, and Apex on Twitter was like, all right, man, we got you, next patch. Meanwhile, everyone else who's been playing this game is like, hey, oh, man, this has been a problem for like three seasons. <laughs> it's silence. Popularity. Uh, and the next thing I've been playing, I jumped back into Fortnite for the sole purpose of the Ariana Grande Rift Tour concert that just happened recently. I think today or tomorrow is going to be the last day. Uh... Regardless of how you feel about Ariana Grande's music, or regardless of how you feel about Epic Games as a corporation and their in their implementation of Fortnite, this is fundamentally the coolest thing I've ever experienced in a video game. Mm. Like, you, were you were you present for the Little Nas X thing? The, no, the Travis Scott one. Oh, Travis Scott, Travis Scott, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I caught the tail end of the Travis Scott one. I didn't get to experience it firsthand. Okay, and that was one of those things where like this is really cool. Mm. So when I heard the well, Ariana Grande thing was leaked like uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm like, I, I'm jumping back into Fortnite. I downloaded it on PC. Uh, I about a couple years ago, my PSN got hacked by a kid who wanted to play Fortnite, and so I jumped back on. I had, budget, I had a bunch of skins and shit that I did not pay for; they were just <laughs> mine. And so W's in the chat. Uh, and so I sat down for the conference, uh, not conference, the event, and immediately you're jumped into the pre-show. Which is a... I don't know Ariana Grande's music. I don't know it at all. Mm-hmm. I'll point out, I also didn't know Travis Scott's music at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't... My friends know this. I don't give a shit about music unless it's tied to uh, an emotional event. Mm-hmm. So you put music in the trailer or something, I'll remember that song because of the trailer. But, like, mm-hmm. I'm not listening to the radio. I'm not paying attention to anything. My Beautiful Dark Tooth of Fantasy was, like, my last hurrah in terms of how much I give a shit about music. Mm-hmm. Kind of made the perfect album at that time. And nothing ever beat it. I'm moving on with my life. <laughs> but I'm sorry, sir. So start off with this insane sort of like slide down bubblegum where you're collecting orbs and shit and speed up to a track and people are like dancing in the background like oh this is really cool and then you cross through a waterfall and then suddenly you're in a shooter where you're on a plane shooting like the final boss from kingdom hearts chernobog or some bullshit oh wow it's actually an insane sequence that even tracks your score and everything so real quick that bubble thing that you're talking about it looks a lot like the uh, Sonic minigame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in, in between worlds. Yeah. From there, you're dropped into what essentially is a brand new biome. The most interesting thing about this versus the Travis Scott one, Travis Scott one, outside of, like, I think the other water level and then the space flooding thing, they just reused the Fortnite map. Mm-hmm. This one, they built entirely new environments for this entire conference. Mm. Once you enter it, you're not on the Fortnite island anymore. Then you're on, like, a bouncy pillow world we were just bouncing up and down to the music. And that's when the actual Ariana concert shows up, where she shows up and starts doing her thing in like an ethereal space world thing. I'm like, I'm enjoying this music. I'm enjoying this experience. 
I feel bad for her because this character model that they made of her is not going to have a good time going forward because that's everything that happens with 3D models in games. Yeah. Uh, hmm. And then it goes forward and then she evolves into her new form and she's, you're riding on a unicorn through space following her and then it gets to essentially Mount Olympus where she's like climbing a mountain and you're teleporting around her as she's climbing it and then it gets to the final section where she's in like a crystal dimension mm. just emerging from a crystal shell and I'm like, this is about the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, just the breadth of everything that's going on. I'm not talking about the music or anything like that, because, like, from a fundamental design standpoint, comparing this to the Travis Scott version, this is a 10 out of 10 day fucking... For Ariana's aesthetic, they have outdone themselves as this as a experience. Yeah. And if Fortnite can maintain this, like, do at least one of these a year going forward. Like, yeah. Fortnite is ready player one. Let's, let's, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. This is ready player one. Mm-hmm. And year after year it's becoming more and more clear that that's the direction they're going and if they keep doing things like this it's going to have it's going to have legs for days yeah, yeah. poor poor second life poor second life <laughs> so like this is it's interesting because like you getting at the whole like um Fortnite being ready player one like that is what they're doing with the whole metaverse thing right that's their yeah, plan I, I was so shocked when i jump in to see how different Fortnite has shifted yeah like, now there are creator levels in the game. Mm-hmm. Well, like, if you go into, the, like, the main playlist, like, they highlight a top three of what people have made in the their actual, like, gameplay build mode stuff. And it's not just mm. battle royales. It's escape rooms. It's essentially dreams, but with Fortnite models. That is very interesting, actually. You know what? I'll, I'll download Fortnite and check it out. I'm just saying, we, we could have done the concert together. It wasn't that hard. Yes, like, I, I literally That's thought true. I wasn't going to get in. <laughs> I literally thought I wasn't getting in, and then I'm like, it was super easy. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might have to check that out then. Uh, and then, Jordan, to wrap it up, what you been playing? I have just finished Death's Door. Ooh. Um, the last sequence of that was very sweaty. Like, um, mm. you know, like the bridge and the sweat on your nose type thing going there, because um, those sequences are long. Like, those boss sequences, they were not fucking around. And when you yeah. died, you get pushed all the way back. Uh, you have to, like, go, okay. go to this hall of doors. But I tell you what, that game, what it does with music is what hooked me. In really? terms of, like, the, the, the gravity of what you were doing and who yeah. you were facing. And, of course, there was a, you know, pretty simple tongue-in-cheek humor attached to it. It was a beautifully written game. Um, you know, like, I, I don't see them making a Death's Door 2 or anything like that. But the music, the visuals, the combat, mm-hmm. everything came together to a pretty satisfying experience. But those last three bosses, well, it wasn't the last two bosses, but the one before the last two, that difficulty spiked. And really? that was a sentiment shared by many people that played that game. Like they were doing shit that you were not prepared for. So uh... it took me like maybe about, you know, 30, 40 minutes to get through that one. But other than that, yeah, I think this is possibly on my game of the year list. Mm. And um, oh, wow. if you can pick it up, I, I'm not trying to say it's beating any other games for now. You know, there's still other games that to go through. Like Genshin Impact, yeah. Well, for me, Psychonauts 2 oh, and true. Forza. But um, we will see how this game, you know, plays out when awards do come out because, uh, you know, many people have said positive things about death store yeah it did get a lot of like positive press when it dropped and people were just really excited to see it why i picked up yeah 
And also, I've been playing The Ascent. Um, mm. The Ascent's a bit of a mixed bag in terms of reviews, depending on who you're talking to. Yeah, yeah. But true. I'm enjoying it. One thing that I would want them to improve upon is the cover system. Mm. Um, I wish it was a better... Like, uh, kind of the way God, um, Gears of War was in terms of their third-person cover system. Like, actually having your player, your character, snap onto cover. Okay. This one yeah. does it. You kind of, like, get close to it. And then you're automatically able to do certain animations that allow you to continue to have your body protected while shooting over. So it's kind of like a, a ragtag shooting element. Like, it's pretty chaotic. Not mm-hmm. so much tactical yeah. is the best way I can put it. But I tell you what, this game's visuals is amazing. Um, like, the mist, the humidity, the, the, mm-hmm. that's, that's like the new style of um, visuals games are doing. The, the volumetric uh atmosphere that 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 game does it amazingly well in terms of how like uh the lower you get the heavier the atmosphere becomes you know you you can sense the smog and how um lights can pierce through the mist and um it's a a beautiful game Mm. it's possibly one of the more beautiful games i played so far this year right next to ratchet and clank so yeah i mean i'm I'm enjoying it even though i'm playing it by myself it's made too be played with other people yeah i heard that the co-op experience is actually a really really good experience yeah if, if i was playing in co-op i would be having a blast right now but you know it's not too difficult they had a few patches in that allowed people to determine how more difficult enemies are depending which area you go to like you're not gonna be going 10 20 levels above anymore you can like flex it downwards but um yeah i've, I've had a good time with that game Awesome. Awesome. And um, I'm pretty sure you're going to continue playing it, right? Well, I'm going to play. I mean, I'm glad Death's Door is off my plate and I can mm. play this game in Hades when it comes out. Hades True. comes out later on this week. Oh. oh. No cross save. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> awesome. Okay. Uh, with that being said, this has been another episode of Press X to Start podcast don't forget this is a audio and video podcast so you can catch it on our youtube channel if you go to press x number two start dot com slash youtube that's where our stuff is in case you missed any of this you can find all the details and more on our website at press x numbers i'm sorry press x press x number two why am i blanking on the website just go there. You know, I've done said it so many times this podcast. Do it. <laughs> uh, da, 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 da. Make sure you rate and review us on your favorite podcasting apps and like, share, and subscribe on your favorite YouTube channel. That's our channel. Um, yeah, I, you know, uh, do the thing. Be safe. Uh, be respectful towards people. Don't do anything bad. And if you do, don't get caught. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's it. That's it. You guys take care. Have fun. All right, y'all. Goodbye.